1: I was like, yo, playing Pat, right? He's like, yeah, yeah. So we talking. I was like, yo, what you doing here? He's like, yo, some artist, Kid Cudi. He's like, oh, shit. I was like, you work with him? He's like, yeah, man, some of his DJ." Da, da, da. I was like, aren't y'all signed to fool's goal? He's like, ah, we did a 12-inch deal. I was like, oh, okay. So I got Pat's info. Then I saw Cudi perform. And I was like, holy shit. This is next level.
2: Yeah, yeah, check it out. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Uh. Yeah. Everybody tuning in, you invited, you invited. No matter what mood you in, get excited, get excited. Everybody love the music, let me tell you how they do it. Whether writer or an agent, let me tell you how they made it. You are now talking to a silent giant. Wanna walk in their shoes? Silent giants. Wanna study their moves? Silent giants. Wanna know what they do? Silent giants. Silent giants, y'all. Ha <laughs> Welcome to the Silent Giants Podcast, a podcast highlighting the superstars behind your favorite superstars and creative industries. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. To keep up with the latest on the show, be sure to subscribe and follow us on Instagram at, at Giants Podcast. To keep up with my life, music, and more, be sure to follow me as well on Instagram at @corey_cambridge. Corey Cambridge. Today on the show, we have a very special guest, A&R Nigel Mack, the silent giant who signed music superstar Kid Cudi, In this episode, Nigel explains how he got his start as an A&R, how he signed k Cudi, and how he discovered and began to manage one of my favorite new artists, Drum. So without further ado, let me introduce you to the man of the hour, the A&R, the manager, the silent giant, my friend, Nigel Mack. Awesome, thank you so much, it's nice to have you on the show. Oh, appreciate that. Man, we're just already starting off with stories. Oh yeah, we haven't gotten to the interview yet. Stories, A lot of stories, stories on stories, mm-hmm. and so uh, you know, how did you first get into music?
1: Um, interesting. So I started out. This was back in Baltimore, like doing street promotion stuff. But even before that, I was kind of doing the artist thing, like producing, trying to rap, but it's like ah, it didn't work out. Were you any good? Ah, eh, I think I was good. I think I had some balls. Is it what was your what was your rap name? Uh, no, I'll never say it. <laughs> Everyone from drum to cutty, everybody's been trying to find this rap name. Like, I, I, can't I swear, say it. I have a knack for and research. Everybody man. has tried to find it. It's, the stuff is on YouTube too, which is funny. Oh, I will, definitely, <laughs> I will, I will find this. You best believe it. This, this is going to come up, man. Everybody said that Nobody's found it. If I'm, you find it, I'll give you props. Okay, okay. So I was like, I got tired of dealing because I was in groups, I was in all this stuff. But then it got to a point, I was like, man, like we would, me and my friend, we would have all these different managers, and I I knew more than the managers. I would ask them questions, they could never answer. I was like, all right, this isn't working for me. So then I got into street promotions, started doing street promotions in Baltimore, D.C., and, you know, just did that, and that's how it started.
2: How the opportunity present itself for you to mm-hmm. become a manager? What, what, right. you know, yeah. what, what was the what was the, the magic moment for you uh, to say... I should not be rapping, and I should oh, not be producing. Oh, I'm gonna producing. tell you
1: what happened. So, I was doing street promotions, and at the time, there was like there was a rapper named Tim Trees. He had a record called Bankroll, which is interesting because Tate Cobangs he remixed it. The record he put out was the original of the record I'm talking about. So, that record blew up. and Then another record came called Whoa Now. So, I'm like, yo, every club I went to, they were playing it. It had the Jeffersons in the in the beginning, moving on up. It was crazy. So I went to a DJ I knew. He was playing in the club. I was like, yo, who's who's this? He's like, oh, this is B. Rich. This is Walt. It's, no, he didn't even say B. It was 80 Dimes. He's like, oh, this is 80 Dimes. Da-da-da-da-da. I was like, all right, cool. So I knew the producer, Dookie Man, who was a club producer too. So me and Dookie connected. And I was like, yo, I love this record. So I just started sending it to all the DJs I knew. Da-da-da-da. The record just exploded in Baltimore. And then it went to D.C., I sent it to Lonnie B. and at V.A. Lonnie B. Yeah. And then it just started moving. And then it was like the label started calling. At this point, I knew nothing about record labels. And all I knew was from doing street promotions. But I didn't know anything about deals and nothing. So I ended up being a manager. And we ended up getting a deal at Atlantic. And, so that was wild. And what was that experience like getting that that first deal? It was, it was like... It was scary, but it was it was amazing at the same time because I totally knew nothing. I was on pure instinct, but it was dope at the same time because we got to go to LA to record the album. It was crazy. I mean, all these people that I never I seen on TV. It was crazy, or just being places you see in movies. It was like, wow, it's crazy. It w- it was definitely one lesson I could take from it is, and I applied it to now because one thing we did which. I applied to my career. We the original record was raw. It was dope as shit. It was just like just the drum and the this it was some straight Baltimore shit. But then once we got to LA, the A and I was like, oh man, we should clean this up because now you're on a major label. We want to take this. And we we agreed when in hindsight we should have kept it the way it was. Cause it was raw. And I've learned in my career it's like if something is if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So that's the, the what I take from that. If we never changed it, psh, oh my god. It was so fucking wrong. So you, you re you re-recorded the record? No, nah, we we agreed to let them produce it up and it was crazy. They put banjos in, it was just bad. <laughs> it was banjo banjo <laughs> says it all. Yeah, exactly. You didn't even <laughs> gotta hear it to the But the original version was knocking. It was like crazy. And, and, so and like, did, you, did you fall in
2: love with managing
1: at this time? Were you like, man? Nah, it was by default. I just ended up doing it. So I got up here like 2000, yeah, like 2006 and didn't have any job, anything up here. I was just couch surfing, just trying to figure shit out. And then luckily what happened, I got a call from an a at Universal Motown to Corey Roberts, who had reached out to me before about the Be Rich Stuff. So me and him stayed in contact. So he hit me one day. He's like, "Yeah, Yo, you know, you're always bringing stuff in from the area. You know, anything, anytime there's something moving, you're always on it. We have an A and R position open. Would you want to apply? Like, not apply, but interview for it?" I was like, "I ain't got shit going on. Why not?" <laughs> <laughs> so I interviewed, came back for another interview, maybe four months after that. But, but
2: you were, you were living in Atlanta,
1: or were you? Living no, in I was New in New York at this point. Okay, well, I was we're... couch surfer, Like, I ain't have no money, no nothing. I was straight. Just living off friends type shit, literally. Yeah. So I went to the interview, and then came back again a couple months later. Then I had I came in for a third one. Then out the blue one day I was I was just somewhere in Jersey. I get a call from HR. They're like, "Would you accept this position?" I was like, "What position?" they like, "Cause I had totally forgot about it. it took so long." They was like, "Oh, A and R Research at I was Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I started March
2: 2007. Well, and so what was that feeling like, getting your 1st like and job? That shit was crazy.
1: Because it was like, you guys, think, you spend your whole life trying to get in this business at whatever capacity. And then you spend your whole life wanting to work and make a living out of it. You spend your whole life getting fucked over, getting screwed over, fucked up this, dealing with shady people. And finally, you get inside. So it's like a weird feeling. It's like. Cause I didn't co- I didn't come in because most people come in labels from college internships or connections. I'm a dude from Maryland who got an A&H art job. You know what I mean? It Couch was surfing. weird. Couch surfer. That doesn't really happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I remember going to the first A A&H Army and everyone looking at me like, who the fuck is this guy? Cause I didn't have no connect nobody knew me. They were like, Who? Who is this dude? how do he even get in here? And so, uh, what was your experience
2: like? What was your first day? Do you remember your first day? Yeah. As an NR? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. That shit was funny. Because my, fr- my job was research. So, I came in through the research department, which is basically, at the time, you would just watch what's going on online. And like if something popped up on radio, we would actually physically make calls to the, like the local chain radio, not radio, but like, record stores in the market, like, yo, is so-and-so asking about so-and-so artists? And you would compile reports. It was like a whole thing. So, but just seeing, sitting to these meetings and seeing like how it really works, it's it's kind of bugged out. Especially when you have no experience. You know what I mean?
2: Were, were you were you nervous? Were you intimidated? Were you anxious?
1: I wasn't intimidated. I was nervous. Only time I got, I'm gonna keep it keep it a buck. The only time I got intimidated is when I first met Sylvia because She was my boss she didn't hire me, but all the, all Andrew Cronfeld I hired me. He was the GM. Okay. So I never met her till we had this one first official a and I I'm obviously, I knew who she was. So I'm sitting there like, whoa. That's when it hit me how <laughs> real this shit was. I was like, oh, shit, that's Sylvia Rowe. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like bugging out. You know what I mean? That was, that mean, I was, because she's, you know, she's, she's, she, she's no serious. joke. She's serious. Yeah, Sylvia's no joke. So I was sitting there like, damn. I mean, I didn't want to say anything stupid or crazy. I was just I didn't say anything. I was just there. And also too, what was uh for a lot of folks here
2: uh who look probably listening to the show, mm-hmm. you're just common music lovers. So they may not know what an ANR does. What was your day-to-day job as an AR? Like what is it what is the life What's of an, an A&R, AR like? Do? What does an AR do?
1: I mean, you pretty much your your main focus is to kind of comb through all you're like the, the buffer between the record label and the artist community. And your job is to go out and find talent that makes sense to sign to the label to be monetized to make money. Okay. To make a profit. But you also, you got to really understand culture. You got to understand like what people like, what people don't like. It's like a balance. It's like you got to really be... You got to really have aptitude for music and people and culture to really be great at. You know what I mean? A lot of people do A&R sometimes and they do it because they don't really respect the culture or know or into music. They just go by what's hot. So they just jump around. But the key is you got to really love music and just really have a general love for it. And so you...
2: Hey, you're wet behind the ears. you this new A&R. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the next step for you in your career? Uh, okay. So,
1: 2008. But so, who
2: was the first artist you signed as an Oh, A&R? yeah. Let's
1: talk about that. Yo, you were here so <laughs> <laughs> You know, the very first artist I signed, because I was doing research, I signed this. He was like a MySpace kid, like. Some Disney shit. His name was Jimmy Jimmy Roberts. Okay, who's now popping in Nashville now. He's like a huge songwriter, but because he was on MySpace, his numbers were crazy. And I I, I played it in a meeting and showed it, and they were like, "Oh yeah, fly him in." I was like, "Oh shit," I was like, "Okay," and they did the deal.
2: Wow, what was that feeling like? Signing an artist, like discovering an artist and signing an artist.
1: It was cool. It was cool because it was like, it's like wow, I'm really doing it. But then the single deals I did, I did. <laughs> pop it off, boys! Crank that, Batman! That was you? Yeah. Oh shit! Them Getaway Boys. I'm a G. My favorite one was Jackie Chain Rolling. Wow! So Jackie Chain. You know what's dope about Jack? Jackie was on all the shit that's on now with the drugs and all. He was on that back then. And then I put Cudi on it. There's a remix featuring Cudi. I had for This right around when I, we were doing the deal, I was like, yo. Because I was in studio with Cudi, and he was like, we're just talking about shit. And he was like, well, who else you work with? I was like, yo, Jackie Chase. He He's like, yo, I love that song, that rolling joint. I was like, yeah. I was like, you want to fuck with it? He's like, yeah. And he just jumped on it. Word I can not feel the left side of my face. Stressful thoughts have been replaced with any and coke and Jaeger main. Jackie told me pump my brakes. I told him pass me something to pop. Told me not to smoke my weed. I, I should listen I can smoke. grabbing models by the arm. I tell you, fuck with no man.
2: And so it was was Cuddy one of the first one of your first early on signings? Yeah, but that was
1: the bit, yeah, that was the first official official signing. So, so I, how did that come about? Like, all right, I'm gonna tell you, it's wild story. Well, it's not wild. It's it's a fun story. So, I was trying to sign Ridgely Kid's sister. She was on Fool's Gold. Okay. So I was meeting with Nick. Nick came through. He's playing me stuff, and I was like, Yo, what's up with the the Cuddy dude? He's like, oh, yeah, you know, we. I, he's like, Yeah, we just put out Day and Night, and we're gonna put up to 12 inches and da da da. I was like, All right, cool. So I'm thinking he signed the Fool's Gold. So I kind of just fall back for a minute. So, fast forward, like, maybe, like, six to eight months, I go to Fool's Gold CMJ Showcase. So, I get that, because Kid Sister, this is so funny, Kid Sister was the headline. Opening up was Cudi and Cool Kids. So, I'm there to see Cudi. I'm I'm really there to see Kid Sister. I knew about Cool Kids. I fucked with it. And I knew about Cudi, and I wanted to see him, too. But I was really there to see that. So... I see Pat there. I was like, because I knew Pat, because he, he signed his kid from Baltimore, too. I was like, yo, playing Pat, right? He's like, yeah, yeah. So we talking. I was like, yo, what you doing here? He's like, yo, some artist, Kid Cudi. He's like, oh, shit. I was like, you work with him? He's like, yeah, man, some of his DJs. I was like, aren't y'all signed the fool's gold? He's like, ah, uh, we did a 12-inch deal. I was like, oh, okay. So I got Pat's info. Then I saw Cudi perform. And I was like, holy shit, this is next level. Because you could see it then, like, it was going to be something different. So I just stayed in contact with him, stayed in contact. Then they started working on the mixtape, him and Mill and Pat. And it was just, a. it took, like, a year and a half. Because things, it's, I think, right when the mixtape dropped, that's when things got, whew, that's when Cudi just excelled.
2: And, and then so, what was the first time, um... Uh, hearing day and night. You remember the first time hearing? Yeah, it? I
1: heard it on MySpace. Damn MySpace. I first heard a lot on MySpace. I first heard cool kids on MySpace. Everything was on MySpace because we. Every, that's that's where it was. You know what I'm saying? And so were, were you around during the process of making the the mixtape? Nah, I I knew Pat, but I wasn't in the studio when they were making it. They okay. I knew, I was around when they were making it. I knew they were making it. Okay, and I was trying to do something then. It was hard, you know. So, the remix blows up. Hold
3: up.
1: The crook is crookers crookers, Yeah, it's huge. And that's when Motown's lights when they were like, oh well, let's figure it out. I was like, Yeah, I've been trying to tell you about it for like a year, but like, all right. So that's when we just started really that's when the, you know
2: The deal came about. Yeah. And so what was it like uh telling Cuddy like, hey man, we want to sign you?
1: Cause did he have other offers at the time oh, on the table? Yo, you know what's all about Cuddy? And this is not even an exaggeration. Every single label on the planet. I'm talking every label was in on it. Everybody, cause you gotta remember, he was the first. Nobody was doing what he was. He was. Cuddy was the paradigm shift to where we're at now. Nobody was doing what he was doing. It was uncharted So when he, when it blew up culturally and it blew up online, and then, it, then the remix reacted. People didn't. People were like, "What the fuck?" He was touring the world with No Deal. He was popping. So every label here, the Europe, everybody was trying to do it. And so, so, no, it
2: was very, yeah, it was super competitive. Well, why do you think that he signed
1: with you and, and not another? You know what it was? It's funny because Pat and Emil, they always we always joke about because I was so junior, I didn't. Yo, know, my my cheap, my expense was like, expense card was mad low. I took, you know what, the first dinner I took, the, <laughs> I took the to, it wasn't even cafeteria. What's the spot in Union Square? Restaurant? Yeah, the restaurant. It's uh, it's not. It's like cafeteria. It's like a diner. Oh, yo, wait, wait. A hmm. cafe, a cafe, coffee shop. Coffee shop. Coffee I shop. I took them to the coffee shop. They always <laughs> give me shit over there. They're like, yo, people was <laughs> taking us on like crazy <laughs> dinners, and you take us to coffee shop. <laughs> they
2: get you like a burger,
1: a diner burger. because right, that's all I could. And
2: also the service there is yeah, terrible. They yeah. all they
1: hire like models. Right, exactly. Service is trash. No, nah, but it was it was relationships that I was because they all knew Pat Cuddy and the Mill knew I really cared and I really want to see this through. And I understood where Cuddy represented and how real it was. You know what I mean? And they took a risk on me because I didn't have anything. I didn't have any big artists behind my name. I was like this junior A&R guy. Wow. And
2: and so what was it like? Were you in the room when they signed the contract? Are you, as an A&R, are you there when they signed the contract? It
1: it depends. Sometimes you are, sometimes you are. When he signed it, I'm trying to remember if I mm, yo, damn. Was I in the room? I was, when we got the word they accepted the offer, I was with Sylvia. That was like around. I remember it was like November because it was about to hit December. Yeah, so it was around that time. I don't think I because he signed at his lawyer's office. I think.
2: Okay. Yeah, yeah. And so what is the what is the role once an artist is signed to the label? Mm-hmm. So Cuddy's now signed, and what is the role that you take on with him post signing?
1: You're like the A and R is like the you're like the in between. So are like, are you like, are you
2: deciding like uh, what songs go on the record or on the album? Nah, that's or, all the artist decision. That's all the artist
1: decision. You kind of the role of A and R. You help them put the whole thing together. Okay. You know. You have different types of artists, though. You have some artists where you have to put their records together. You have to bring in writers, and you have to do do, do, do. I don't work with artists like that. Okay. I I know my strengths and my weaknesses. Like The best artists for me are ones who have a vision and know what they want, and I help them put it together. Gotcha. Gotcha.
2: And so how did that? The dope
1: thing about Cudi, yo, it was ill because like we first did our first session. He had all the shit mapped out. It was wild to watch because he's like, "Yo, we're gonna do Man on Moon One, and we're gonna do Man on Moon Two, and this is what's gonna be, and we're gonna do the narrative." I was like, "Damn!" I mean, he had it literally; it was all mapped out.
2: And what was it like seeing an artist, um, I mean, like like just become the biggest thing in, in music? It was,
1: it was surreal because when you're making the records, we knew it was special, but we didn't know it was gonna hit like that. Like it was just like, "Whoa!" I was like. But watching it, like being there while it was being made and being in the studio, yeah, it was dope.
2: Man, and so uh how did that signing change your career after you know
1: after uh, that? it changed it, it changed everything. Cause everyone associates me with Cuddy, you know what I mean? So all the artists after be like, oh, you know what I mean? So and that's the beauty of AR, you always are associated with what you sign. If you signed a lot of corny shit, you're attached yo, to corny, corny shit. Ain't <laughs> you signed some dope shit, you're dope. Wow. That's why someone like hip-hop is a, like a legend because come on, it's hip-hop. Look at right. what he's done. Kanye, Jay, like Huge. Mega huge. stars. And hip-hop's cool as fuck. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, like, and that's what I'm saying. Like someone like that, you're like, oh, okay. I'm cool. I would do a deal because he, he knows his shit. And that's what that's what you as an A and you know, R, your whole career is based upon. What is it
2: about you mm-hmm. that allows you to discover new talent? Because you obviously have a magic,
1: nah, I magic say touch, modest touch. Nah, you know what it is. I wouldn't even call it my touch. I just love music, and I gravitate to artists who I feel like have something special in them, who could really. It's just, it's hard to describe. Like certain people, you could just see it in them, like, or you could hear it, like, yo, this is gonna be. This could be. This is different. And so uh, how did it
2: come to be that you were introduced to drum?
1: All right. So I leave Universal 2014. I was there for like seven years. I was like, all right, so let me figure something else out. So I got into management. So I started working with this group from um, Virginia, Sonny and Gabe. Super dope. Sonny and Gabe are like next level. So one day, I'm chilling, Gabe, Gabe hits me, he's like, yo, I'm working with this dude, I think you should hear it, I'm doing this mixtape, One Epic Summer, he's ill, he can sing, he can rap, da, da, da. I was like, alright, cool, send me the mixtape, he sent me the mixtape, I was fucked up, I was like, whoa. I heard Chacha on it, and I was like, nah, Chacha's dope, it's cool, but when I heard Money, I was like, yo, get him on the phone, please. Woke up this morning like Woke up this morning like, I'm finna make a million, I'm finna make million, twenty thousand at the pavilion. And they screamin' for me, I dream for the feeling. Can you feel it? I just left from Gabriels, making music on my way to Katie Ghost. We be coolin' like. So he got drum on the phone and we started talking. And then at the same time, a part of the Tune Day had reached out. I didn't even know Tune Day reached out. Tune Day reached out. Cause he 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 had heard him. So we all connected. You know what I mean? So I started working with him. Like, yeah, me and Tim, They started working with him like 2014, and it was dope because it's a real artist development story, and it's a story of a real artist that's like started from zero to like nah, Look where he's at now. You know what I mean? And then when I first and then when I met Drum, I was like, oh yeah, this is gonna. Work. He's he's a star. He's gonna work. Yeah. Well, what was the What was the first time meeting Drum like? He came up with uh, Sonny and Gabe. Well, it's funny. The first time he—it's funny—he told me so. The first time I actually did meet him, I didn't know who he was. He—I met with Sonny. Sonny and Gabe came up to New York, and Drum was with them. But the time—I, the second time I actually met him, as Drum, he came up with his cousin Mass, and I think Gabe came up, and we were all just at my crib. And then I set up some stuff for CMJ. He did his first New York show. So when I seen him perform. I was like, oh, and that was my first time seeing Sunny Gay perform too. I was like, oh, this shit is gonna, this VA, this is the next wave. This is like the next. They're taking the, they hold the torch from what, from Pharrell, Timbaland, The Clipse. This is the next wave, and it is. Virginia has this beautiful
2: thing, yeah, because yeah. it's it's in between exactly the South,
1: yeah, in
2: New York, <laughs> right. So there's like the lyrical ability and like right. the the skills as mm-hmm. a as an MC. But also like a soulful element as well, to where it's 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 pop, but it can cross over. But it's still urban. Mm -hmm. I mean, very similar to Pharrell, and very similar to Timbaland. A lot of cats from Virginia Beach, Hampton Roads area. You Mm -hmm. know, Newport News. Shout out. Mm -hmm. You know, so like, what is the process when you have an artist um, that you see potential in? What are the first steps you take as a manager to get that artist
1: to to kind of take off? You kind of, you just got to put a plan together. You got to, you, you assess it, like, okay, let's get all the, let's figure out, well, what's the next steps? So we're going to put an EP out, we're going to put a project out, you get all the content together, you're like, okay, we're going to shoot some visuals, you get the visuals together, and you formulate a plan.
0: Okay, okay.
1: I never, I always got to work with a plan. I can't just freestyle, like, you got to have some type, even if something doesn't look, every when things look organic, trust me, there's a plan behind it got to have content and all you got to roll it out and it's a whole thing and, and do you enjoy being more of an executive or more of an a&r i,
2: enjoy right, I mean, A&R executive and more move. of a manager more
1: uh, I, they're both cool but i'm more of the create. i'm more of a creative so i guess i lean more towards the a&r side okay
2: definitely okay
1: um i guess what makes a great manager is like you just have to be organized and focused and have a plan and just know and really know what you're doing I, There's I, really no exact answer to that. You just have to be on point, I guess. Yeah, you can't be with the artist getting lit and <laughs> off the shit. You gotta be somebody gotta be focused. Is
2: is there a manager that you look up to that you think that you've met you were like, yo, I like moving like this guy. I like the way he moves. Or uh was there was there ever a mentor that you had in the industry? It kind of seemed like you kind nah, of you, you kinda had.
1: stumbled into Yeah, I never had a mentor. I wish I did. I never had a mentor.
2: You are now currently? Yeah. Yeah. What what are you now currently, sir? <laughs>
1: Well, I'm back at Republic, VP of Urban A&R. Okay. Yeah, so that's dope. So, you know, working with Cudi again, about to sign some new stuff, helping out with some of the stuff on the label. So it's dope. And what, what mistakes have you seen artists make? Ooh. Well, the biggest mistake I've seen artists make is forgetting. Okay, I'll give you an example. Like, I've seen artists make the mistake of, before a deal or before you become, you pop off, whatever, I see a lot of artists make a mistake. As soon as they get a deal, they switch up. I'm like, yo, stay. When you get a deal, you don't change. You expand on what you, what you already are doing. Just make it bigger. You don't do a 360 and be like, now you have a budget. Oh, I'm going to go work with this person. I think people change their sound up too fast sometimes. I've seen that. And I've seen people... Like, you got to also make sure your management is good. Don't just have anybody manage you.
0: Okay.
2: Is is it good for a manager to be uh, a person that you kind of have grown up with, or is it better to have, like, an external manager that?
1: If it's someone you grew up with, that's cool. As long as they're organized and focused, that's fine. Okay. But I think the smart thing to do, if you don't have experience, partner up with a more experienced manager.
2: Okay. Okay. You know what I mean? Um, are there like management agencies? Like, how would an artist, how would a new artist find a new manager? What's See, the,
1: what's that's that? the weird part. It's it's like finding a booking agent. It's just people find. I always tell people, people find you if you. I mean, as corny as that sounds, that's the reality. Okay. okay. You never. You you can't really. To go out looking for a manager is kind of like I don't know. Most managers like they find artists. Okay. Like, you know they're more on it than a label. You know what I mean.
2: And and as far as like signing talent goes, um, is it more based on, uh, the potential of an artist or is it more based on this artist already has traction and already has a following?
1: Uh, it depends. It's a little bit of all that. It could be if, if they have traction, then you might do a deal based on that or, but for me, it's not about, it's more so about like potential. Okay. Because if you because the traction, you'll get traction if you're really dope anyway. You know what I mean? But, well, let me take that back. Yeah. Let me take that back because <laughs> a lot of wax shit gets traction. No, but what I'm saying is the real real things kind of like, they may not be immediate in your face. Because because a lot of times wax stuff is in your face. You see it and you're just like, oh, okay, that looks big, but it's really not big. Whereas some, something that's real may be a slow build. Okay. I like to watch the slow build. I like the slow build better than the immediate. Well, the slow build is going to be sustainable.
2: Exactly. Like, I always say this about Jay Z: why Jay Z is my favorite rapper mm-hmm. and why Jay Z's managed to be successful mm-hmm. is Jay Z never owned a moment in time.
1: Damn, that's real. He
2: never owned a moment. There was, there was never a period when the the Biggie, the Biggie era, Mm-hmm. In New York, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the bad boy era in New York mm-hmm. with Puffy, Mace, mm-hmm. he was never the hot rapper in New York, right? Then you get to like the late 2000s, right? Mm-hmm. So now Biggie's gone and Pac's gone. And now you have Ja scorching. Mm-hmm. You got Nelly scorching. Uh, Jay's just around. Jay hovers around that 3 million, hit you with five. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? While Ja and 50? The DMX. DMX, give, 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 DMX, hitting, DMX hitting 7, 10, DMX 8 awesome. mil. On fire, scorching. Bro. Then you fast forward to like the two, like early two thousands. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like Ye was scorching, Damn. Eminem was scorching. I didn't even break down. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Jay just always manages to be relevant mm-hmm. and just keep that slow burn going. And, and even Jay's to this day, best.
1: Jay's the best.
2: He knows how to move in a room. He
1: he does. He's he's a genius.
2: Nigel, man. Well, I I think personally from from viewing you, you have a good. I feel like the the manager is kind of like um. Kind of like the bass player in a band. Mm-hmm. And I think you have like you have bass player vibes. <laughs> you know what I mean? The bass player is always the guy, uh-huh. Lay back, back, chill, cool, uh-huh. organized type of guy to go home to his wife. You know what I <laughs> mean? Yeah. Like, like like likes the rock star life, but still has like a successful marriage. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. You know, but I think that kind of what is is what makes you a special manager
1: for me too you know what it is it's a deeper thing cause I really care about music and I care about artists and I really care about the rich history of black music and that's what really drives me you know what I mean cause I really care about where it, where we're going and where it's been you know
2: well Nigel I want to thank you so much for being on the show oh thank you you are that dude
3: <laughs>
2: you are you are a true silent giant it's such an honor having you here.
1: Oh, thanks for having the me. The
2: first, I, I got shot down the first time. <laughs> nah, man, I don't talk. Yeah, <laughs> a, I, don't, I don't speak. I don't speak. <laughs> so to have you on the show is an extreme honor, Nigel. Very grateful to have you on the show. Oh, thanks. You. you. that do. So next time. Next time.